Galatians chapter number 5. Tonight I'd like to teach on the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. I want to read verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Of course, Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians who live in the area today we know of as modern Turkey. And Paul has been talking about a number of different issues in this church, everything from justification all the way down to what happens when a person is deceived or bewitched is a word we have in the KJV. But he's been talking in previous verses about the freedom we have in the Lord and not using that as an opportunity to live our lives according to the flesh. In fact, he says, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh or desires of the flesh. He does not say that you will not have lusts or desires. But he says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill those desires, which is very important to know. He then tells us in verse 17 of chapter five that there's a war taking place within us between that old man, the flesh and the new man, which is the spirit. And he says that that these natures are incompatible with one another. Because our new man is born of God. It comes from God. That old man comes from Adam. And the two cannot be reconciled in their nature, in their beliefs. They are at war with one another, one another over and over again. So he, he tells us in verse 19 that the manifestations of that old nature are all of these things connected with adultery and cleanness and witchcraft and hatred and murder and drunkenness. All of these things which are not beneficial to any Christian. But Paul doesn't want to leave us there. He doesn't want to leave us in a place of discouragement. So in verse 22, this is when he offers to us something that is better than all of that, an alternative lifestyle to all of that. And he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. Of course, if, if you know the principle of Genesis chapter 1, you know the principle is, that the seed can only reproduce after its own kind. So when you think of your garden, when you go out and you plant seed in your garden after you've prepared the ground, you know that if you plant a row over here expecting spices and you plant a row over here expecting some kind of a melon, that it's not likely that for basil you're going to get cantaloupes. And you're certainly not going to get uh, watermelons when you're looking for something else. So the scripture makes it very plain that that seed is going to reproduce after its own kind. It's the same way with a tree, a fruit tree. If you plant apple seed, then you're not going to get a tree that's bearing pears. The reason that's essential in understanding this is that from the natural perspective, a seed can only produce one thing. One kind. When we became a Christian, the scripture says that we were born again of incorruptible seed. Our heart was prepared through conviction and repentance 
for the Lord to plant that incorruptible seed in our heart. But what's amazing about the new life that we have in Christ is that out of that one seed comes all of these kinds of fruit. Love, joy, peace, meekness. There's no other fruit in this planet that is as diversified as the fruit of the Spirit. There's no other seed in the earth that can produce what the incorruptible seed of God is able to produce. And we like to remind you that trees and gardens do not produce fruit and harvest for themselves. That is to say the garden is not going to devour or consume what it brings forth. And the tree is not going to consume the fruit that manifests on its branches. It bears these things and produces these things for people like you and me to come by and harvest and enjoy. So as a Christian, then you've got to remember that the purpose of you bearing the fruit of the spirit is not just for your own personal pleasure and enjoyment, but for the people that are around you. They are the ones who are in need of your fruit. We'll describe that here in a little bit. So the first fruit that's mentioned is love. We know that love can be a noun as well as a verb, so we'll take on both, both issues. Love covers a multitude of sin. That's what the scripture says. One of the, the uh, pictures in the Bible is that of Noah. He goes out into his vineyard after the flood. He becomes inebriated because he drinks a little bit too much of the grape, grape juice and everything. And so the scripture says that he ended up laying in his tent without his clothes on. He was naked. And one of his boys went and, and, and looked in there at, at dad and went back and told his brother and said, look, I'm telling you, dad is drunk as a skunk in there. And there's no way on this earth he's going to be able to do anything today. So the other boys were so ashamed at the fact that the son had looked upon the father's nakedness that they went to the tent backwards moved into the tent and put some kind of cloth or something over their father to cover up his nakedness and his shame. So the scripture says love covers a multitude of sin. If we manifest love, you know that'll keep us from gossip and slander. And as, as much as we enjoy manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fire and the explosion, explosion of the anointing and the power of God, it is these right here that really bring about the maturity and develop the character of a Christian. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can have all the gifts in manifestation, but if you don't have love, you're like a sounding brass. So here is where believers should major and spend a good portion of their life because love is something that everybody wants to enjoy. Now let's not forget John 3.16, God so loved that he gave. So for God, he understands that love is an act. It's not just something that, that's a noun. It's, it, it's something to be moved upon, acted upon. He so loved that he gave. And if, we, if you walk in love, I can promise you, There'll be a whole lot of people that will benefit from the fact that you're you're walking in love. So pass up opportunities to be easily offended. 
And when you have those opportunities, you, you kind of come to grips real fast with the fact that I need to bear fruit of the spirit now and I'm needing love to manifest now. And I'm telling you, that's a supernatural thing because it's called the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the flesh and not the fruit of self. It's the spirit of God that produces this in you. And you need to be able to do that. We've had a few winters here where the, they're so warm that the fruit trees will start budding. And some of the people don't like that because if they start budding early in February, then first time we get that cold spell, then it's going to affect all of that and nobody's going to get any fruit at all. So as a, as a believer, then the conditions have to be right. The conditions have to be right for the fruit to manifest in your life. And rather than allowing yourself to become a very cold hearted and a very mean spirited person, you really want to, re to, to remain humble in the presence of God so that this fruit can then manifest in your life. So the first fruit, he said, love. The second one, joy. Don't you like being around happy people? I do. Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Scripture says a merry heart works like a medicine. It says he that has a merry heart has a continual feast. Scripture says about Jesus that he rejoiced when his disciples came back telling them stories of casting out devils. Said he rejoiced in the spirit. How can you rejoice without being happy? Joy is connected with the word rejoice. So as a Christian, then one of the fruit of the spirit is joy. And in this Christian life, God expects us to manifest a supernatural happiness. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to live every day with despair over your head. You can have a smile on your face because of how good the Lord is. And if you and if you want to resist what the adversary is doing, then ask God to bring that joy into your life. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. That's one of the things that'll put a smile on your face. But if you're going to sit there and think about everybody that's ever made you mad, you're going to be an old sourpuss. But if you want the joy of the Lord to manifest, you're going to have to allow God to show you those places in your life where he's blessed you. And this is a fruit that's needed, especially in a world that's so full of sadness. Well, when I was home that, that week of the holiday, I watched the news one of those evenings and you know, you, you see the evening news and it, it, it gets depressing. You know, somebody takes a pickaxe to somebody else and somebody kills somebody, somebody rapes somebody, somebody stealing from somebody. And it's all so, so depressing. And you're looking for some good news, anything that'll put a smile on your face. But then you have to come back to this verse here, verse 22, and realize that our joy does not come from what we see externally. There's an inward stream that flows within us. There's an inside fountain that bubbles up inside of us and we are happy even when other people don't know we're happy. I'm sure there have been plenty of times Tiff and I have been going down the road and people driven past and Tiff might have been over there sleeping here. I was hilariously laughing and smiling and they're probably thinking that guy's lost his mind over there going down the highway. But I've got a happiness that comes from way down deep and since the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. You can't take it away. So the next one then is peace. The fruit of the spirit is peace. Peace is something that we have when we know the Lord. Now, before we became Christians, we were at war with the king at war. So there was enmity between us and God. 
But because of our faith in the Lord, we were reconciled unto him. And because of that reconciliation, that means that the peace we have with God now has afforded us access to God. So now we have peace with God, but we also have the peace of God. Jesus said in John 14, my peace I give to you. I leave with you. Not as the world gives. What kind of peace does the world offer to us that are Christians? They'll say, well, if you're in pain, here's some marijuana. They'll say, if you're having problems, here's some meth. They'll say, if you're having difficulties and you just want to escape your problems for a few moments, here is some alcohol. And a lot of people try to escape reality, try to escape their lifestyle, staring at the bottom of an empty glass. And you know as well as I do, there have been hundreds of people up and down the valley out here who have gone from their 20s right to the grave, and they spent the majority of their time on a stool at a saloon. See? Looking for something that they never were able to find in a place like that. But according to the scripture, peace is something that derives from the presence of the Holy Ghost in you. The fruit of the Spirit, the peace of the Spirit. It is only God, the Holy Ghost, that can give you peace of mind in a world filled with anxiety and worry and fret. And this is why a lot of people don't sleep. They're worried about what's going to take place in their, in their life. So young people are worried about whether or not they're going to get a good job. Some are worried about whether or not they're ever going to meet somebody. Some are worried whether or not they're ever going to have a little bit of money for retirement. And then by the time people get older, then some older people are wondering who's going to be the first one to pass away. Then they're worried whether or not we're going to be able to make it on our fixed income. And we're worried about this. We're worried about that. God is able to give a believer the kind of peace where we can sleep comfortably at night. And so the scripture said, God gives his beloved sleep. Sleep. So one of the fruit of the spirit then is peace. The next one is long suffering. I figured you'd want me to spend some time on that. What is long suffering? Philip said to Jesus in John 14, how can we know the way? And what exactly is the truth? And Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long with you that you don't know? That is to say that all this time we've been together, you haven't really been paying attention to me. So sometimes you have to suffer long with people who don't have the temperament that you like, don't have the personality that you like. A long-suffering person is a person with an enduring uh, kind of a, temperament because they're willing to put up with people. They're patient towards people. So they're not easily agitated. And this is how God is. So let's say God waited on you 47 years to become a Christian. And then you get saved and you start praying for a spouse. You start praying for a friend or for your enemies. And then after two months, they're not saved. And so you're mad at God. And so God, God's trying to remind you, look, I waited on you 47 years. How, how come you can't wait on somebody else 47 years? Romans 5 and 5 says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So it's not like it's impossible for us to love. It's not a problem of inability. We can love. Our problem is we choose not to love and not to be long suffering. So long suffering has to do with you exhibiting 
This particular characteristic, even when you're around people who get on your last nerve. You ever been around somebody that annoys you? This is when you need this fruit of the spirit. And God gives you opportunities to manifest this. And I'm telling you, this is supernatural because there are times when you literally you want to give somebody a piece of your mind. And God has to put a muzzle on you just to keep you from doing that and show you, look, you've got to be long suffering now. You've got to be patient with them. I know you're ready to kill them, but right now you can't do that. Wouldn't be Christian to take their life. So you have to be long suffering with the people that you're working with. And sometimes with the people you're worshiping with. So to be long suffering is a principle that God deals with all the time because he he loved the world that hates him. He loved the world that denies he exists. He loves a world filled with people that are constantly creating religion so that they don't have to worship him. And he puts up with it every day over and over again. Habakkuk wanted to know one time, why is it, Lord, that you're letting the righteous people live such a long time? And it looks like uh, the unrighteous people, you're letting them live a long time, but the righteous people are being cut off early in their years. We've all wondered that. Why do wicked people live so long? And then here's somebody that really loves God and is trusting God. And sometimes in the very flower of their youth, they're cut off. Paul said, One of the fruit of the spirit is long suffering. But then he mentions this word gentleness. Now, Matthew 12 tells us that Jesus healed some people. Then in fulfillment of Isaiah 42, it says that the Gentiles would put their trust in his name and that a bruised reed he wouldn't break. Now, What's a bruised reed? That, that's vegetation that somehow has been bent but hadn't been snapped off. And so it's kind of like a plant that you might have around the house and maybe uh, something, something has been bent over, but yet you may take some string and try to tie it up so that as you're watering it and as the health is being restored to the vegetation, that pretty soon that part of it that was limp is now kind of coming back up, reaching out towards the light. And this is what God is. God is very gentle in how he handles us. Now, some people are like me in that they can be direct, they can be blunt, but that's not always needed. Sometimes what's needed is to be very gentle with people, be very kind-hearted with people. And there are certain things in your home that you have to handle gently. You say, what is it that you handle gently? Something that you value a lot. Something that you received from your grandparents or great-grandparents as a family heirloom. You notice how you take it from one shelf to the other. You're just kind of holding it and you're preserving it, trying to make sure that you don't miss a step. You're not usually over there saying to one of your kids, come on, catch grandma's vase and then throwing it like a football. You're very, very gentle with it. And that's how God is with us because we're precious to him. He gave his son to die on the cross to secure our redemption through his blood, to purchase us with his blood. And the Bible says we've been bought with a price. You are the property of God. It's like I am. So the way he handles us is in gentleness because he never wants to crush us. But he wants to see us stand again and rise again. And that's why the spirit of God brings conviction. But it's the devil who comes to condemn. Conviction comes 
to point out our iniquity, but to give us hope by showing us the way to Calvary. You can rise again through forgiveness. But condemnation, when it comes from the devil, it is always designed to bring grief, guilt, shame, despair, to leave you at a dead end where you feel like my life is of no value at all. And that's what condemnation does. So God deals with you and me in a very gentle, a gentle fashion. But then it speaks of goodness and goodness is only understandable when it is compared to something that's bad. Let's remember the man came to Jesus and said, good master, what good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's none good but God, and you don't even believe I'm God. So since you don't believe I'm God, why are you calling me good? Which essentially is to say the only thing that's good is God. So when you're trying to determine what's right, what's proper, what's good, what's bad, you have to ask the question, is this of God? If it's of God, that'll make it good. If it comes from God, that'll make it good. And from a scriptural perspective, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit being goodness, he goes on to tell the man that if you keep the commandments, you will inherit eternal life. And he said, what commandments should I keep? And then Jesus goes on and tells him. So that shows us that the commandments are good. The scripture says the law is good. The word of God is good. If I do what the scripture says, then I am fulfilling the principle of truth and I am allowing goodness to manifest in my life. And if there's anything we need in this world today, we need to see some good things rather than some bad things. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I get tired of hearing one bad story after another of of a family falling apart or something happening or this happening. Sometimes it's nice just to see someone doing something that's good. Really is nice. But what God wants from us is for us to be the people that are doing the good deeds. Now, good deeds won't save us. Ephesians makes it very plain. It said we're saved by grace through faith. That's not of ourselves, but it's the gift of God. But it goes on to make it very plain that out of the saving faith of God is going to come the good works. So our life is going to produce good deeds. And goodness comes out of that as a fruit. You cannot have a Christian who truly loves God producing iniquity. That's not the plan of God. God's plan is for that believer to produce goodness. <clears throat> and so the, the next fruit mentioned here in verse 22 has to do with faith, which is a confident trust and reliance upon God. And, and I want to reiterate that you have to cultivate the environment in order for these fruit to grow. The scripture says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of God develops our ability to hear. The word of God helps us to recognize what God is saying through his scripture and to help us to understand when God has placed a burden upon our heart or has given some kind of impression to our heart in order to lead us and guide us and direct us in various ways. But faith as a fruit has to be manifested. We've got to let it grow and we have to let it develop. We know that everybody who's born again has a measure of faith. That's Romans 12. So you can't say I'm a Christian and I have I can't believe you can believe. But now that you are a Christian, 
Faith has to be developed in your life. And your faith is directly uh, enlarged by the word of God. But the measure of faith that you have is in correspondence with the knowledge of God that you have. The more you know about God, the greater faith you'll be able to exhibit. So this is why it's good to know the stories of Scripture. It gives you an opportunity to trust God. If, if you're going through a trial, somebody else passes through that trial and they lose their faith in God. And then you pass through a trial and you know what you do? You grow stronger in God because your roots go deeper. I, I can tell you this. I'll let you in on a little secret. I'll tell you this as, as a pastor. People can sit in church week after week and backslide listening to somebody teach them the Bible. Backslide. Just grow further and further away from God and closer and closer to the world. Listening to someone talk about God. And then the other thing is, if you don't cultivate and preserve the environment for the fruit to grow, then you, you, you prevent it from, from growing. So you that, that like to garden, you know as well as I do, to have a garden, it's time consuming. Because you have to be out there every day chasing those weeds and cutting them up and dealing with them. And if you don't deal with the weeds, then the weeds overtake the garden and that's going to hinder the amount of harvest that you have and the quality of the harvest. So what happens if you don't take care of your Christian life? What happens if you don't take care of your spiritual life? If the most spiritual thing you do is come out here on a Sunday night, then you're not very spiritual at all. But you need to read the Bible. You need to pray. You need to talk to God. You need to spend time in the presence of God. You need to sing Christian songs. You need to renew your mind with the word of God so that faith can manifest when you need it and you're in the valley of decision. So it's a fruit of the spirit. If you don't do that, then you, you, you make it impossible for God to, to really bless other people as he want to. And there's nobody else to blame but you because your garden belongs to you and the fruit of spirit in your life belongs to you and there's nobody else that we can point to. I cannot stop fruit from manifesting in his life. And you cannot keep fruit from manifesting in my life. However much you try to irritate me, you can't do it. And I, I could try to create all kinds of problems in your, in your life, but your reaction will be determined by how you respond to me. That's it. So every time you respond with the fruit of the spirit, that's a supernatural manifestation. Now you don't have to tease anybody, but just say, see, I could have cussed you out, but I didn't. I don't talk like that. God saved me. God delivered me. So you don't have to do that. All you have to do is just restrain yourself. Maintain your bearing. Be tactful, even when the devil is trying to attack you and provoke you to wraths of anger. He wants outbursts to manifest in your life to create those kind of memories with people. And then later on, they'll go tell somebody, I thought he said he was a Christian. See, fruit of the spirit. So the next one is meekness. And of course, meekness is connected with humility. And we want to be humble in the presence of God. I say very often, it's better to be humble in the beginning than be humiliated later in life. See? So humility oftentimes precedes promotion and exaltation. But if pride is the most important thing in your life, then I can promise you it's going to produce greater problems 
Because with meekness, there has to be a humility of heart and a humility in the mind. And a good example is the story of Abraham and Lot. Abraham left the land of Ur, took his family, Lot included, went north to southeastern Turkey. Abraham's dad died. They came into the promised land. Scripture says he was wealthy with silver and gold and had a lot of cattle. So obviously Lot himself was wealthy because of his relationship and his connection with Abraham. Now, I don't know if Lot had cattle before Abraham or if he developed his herd while he was working with Abraham. But I do know that they had enough cattle that each of them hired some people to work as herdsmen for him. And according to the scripture, one day there were a few problems between Abraham's hired men and Lot's hired men. And so Lot came to Abraham and said, look, uh, we, we've got a problem here. It seems to me that your hired men are beating my men out at every watering hole. And I just don't think that's right. Now, if he would have been a good, godly and humble guy and, and, and recognized the blessing of the Lord that was upon Abraham's life from what the Lord said in Genesis chapter 12, he would have came humbly and said, you know, Abraham, uh, some of my, my, my idiot men have been telling me that, that your good men have uh, been doing this or doing that. And so I just think that I'm going to tell my men to just kind of move away over here. And then, you know, why don't we sell off, you know, a couple of hundred head of cattle and then we'll have all the pasture land that we need and we won't have all this friction. That's not what he said. Lot, Lot had other things on his mind. And so Abraham, being as smart as he was, he knew that he could deal with second place and take second best and still end up with greater glory. So he said to Lot, he said, I tell you what, you go your way, I'll go my way. And in whatever direction you choose, I'll go the opposite. So Lot, he lifted his eyes. He said, oh, he said, that's a good piece of land over there going in the direction of the plains of Sodom. Oh, my, he said, that's casino land over there. I could really go there and make it big and retire. So he said, that's where I'm going, Uncle Abe. He said, I love you. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Kissed him on both cheeks, and then they parted their ways, and he went down there. And Abraham, the scripture says, he went in the opposite direction. And that's meekness. You give somebody else first choice. And then you turn around and end up with a greater blessing in your life. He said, how did Abraham end up with a greater blessing in his life? Well, because the next time we read about Lot, he's sitting in the gate of Sodom. And it doesn't even say he has any hired men. And it doesn't even say he has a cow. Sometimes the very things we divide and split over, we don't even maintain. People pass away. Folks go to fighting over property and material goods. Ten years later, they don't even have the things that they divided over. Don't even possess them anymore. What is meekness? Meekness says, you know what? You guys do whatever you want to do. God's going to take care of me and I'll be fine. That's meekness. See? Restrain my behavior to keep me from, from asserting some kind of inflated sense of pride and just simply saying, I'll take whatever God gives me and I'll keep a smile on my face. That last fruit that's mentioned there is temperance which has to do with self-control, the ability to restrain attitudes, actions. Temperance is the ability to, to sit down there at the table where there's nothing but your favorite kinds of food and not gorge yourself until you can't move. Temperance. Yeah. 
the ability to turn the plate down and say, I feel like God's wanting me to fast a meal or fast a day. That's temperance. The ability to, to recognize that in your life you do not have to gratify every appetite that you have. And you don't have to gratify every appetite now. Some people honestly believe if I want it, I want it now. And if I have the money, I got a right to have it now. Well, you got a right to do a lot of things, but that doesn't necessarily mean you need it. You should be glad God doesn't give you everything you want. But that God goes out of his way to make sure that we have the things that we need. Because if he gave you everything that you wanted, you'd be surprised how many of us in here would be like Lot. Lot wanted Sodom and Gomorrah. But when it was over, he lost a wife. He lost two daughters and two sons-in-laws. He lost all his cattle and his wealth, and he ended up in a cave doing unseemly things with his own daughters. See? Because a man had to gratify his flesh. So when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, we need to pray and say, God, help me to bear these fruit. Now again, if I am manifesting fruit, and you're manifesting fruit, it's not for me, it's for other people. P people who come to church sometimes have had difficult weeks. And they've dealt with a lot of evil people. And so when they come into a fellowship, they really need to pull on some of your patience and your long-suffering. Because if they've been dealing with people who are easily offended and short with them and angry with them. And then when they come into the church and they just want somebody to talk to. So this is why we got to be careful about where we go and who we talk to, because everybody exhibits fruit in a different way. There are some people in the church who really are a little bit more loving than other people. It comes natural to some people. We all should be loving, but some people just, you know, the greater exhibitions of love. We should all be givers. But according to Romans chapter 12, there are just some people who would just have a, have big, have a bigger heart than, than other people. And it's the same thing with patience. So if you've had a difficult week with people who are very short with you and angry with you, you when you come to church, you're looking for somebody to be, be long-suffering to you. You want to pull on that fruit and devour that fruit. You don't want to go up to somebody and then you start telling them all of your problems and, and everything like that. And rather than showing gentleness and long-suffering, they say, well, look, just get over it. You can live. That's not helpful. Not helpful at all. So all of these fruit, these nine manifested fruit of the spirit here. The beauty of this is all of these are antidotes to anger. Because if you look at all of them, you can somehow see. That the one work of the flesh that will destroy all of them would be anger and outbursts of wrath. Yeah. We, we, we don't want to be people who are explosive with our personality and just always angry and upset. It's holiday time. There are a lot of people who don't get along with anybody. And some people don't like the holiday time because they start thinking about that one cousin or uncle or grandpa or somebody who comes around. And it just seems like no day is ever a good day for them. So since they're not having a good day, they're going to make sure you have a bad one just like they have. And they're going to create every kind of conversation they can create to, cre to make hostility and all kinds of problems. And what ends up happening over time is people just stop hanging around them. So 
So here you have a family reunion. Everybody will be gathered and concentrated in one area. Then you see old cousin so-and-so over there by himself. And then eventually he leaves and goes home and he's angrier because nobody talks with him. And he hadn't figured out nobody talks with him because he's so angry. That's why a lot of people are sad, have problems. <clears throat> so let's suppose you had a, a, a friend who had some college friends and they wanted to get together and you were trying to figure out, well, I just don't understand why things don't ever work out for them. So around February 14th, you know, Valentine's Day, all the girls from college say, we're going to get together, we're going to have, have, a, have a good time. And then one of them asked, well, is so-and-so coming? And, and then said, well, she says she's going to come. Okay, all right, well, I, I'll come anyhow then. So, the, so, so when they get there, then, then this one lady, she starts, she starts in on other people and starts creating all kinds of problems, and, and she starts poking and jabbing and needling people, and then pretty soon she's offended and angry, and she's been the one poking and needling everybody. And so everybody goes home unhappy, and she's terribly unhappy. She's sending text messages and calling people saying, well, I'm not gathering with y'all for Easter because I'm tired of the way y'all treat me. And so they don't get together then. And so Memorial Day comes along. Everybody's going to get together again. And they're saying, well, let's, let's meet at such and such restaurant. And the lady says, well, I'm going to come. And then, and then she starts thinking about what happened when they got together at Valentine's Day. Then she texts the day before and said, I'm not coming because I'm still angry about what you did before. So she stays home. And everybody else over here rejoices. So Fourth of July... Fourth of July, everybody gets together again and they're trying to, you know, put all of this stuff together. And sure enough, she gets there and somebody says to her, well, you know, you, you really look nice in, in that outfit you have on. Where, where did you get those shoes at? And, and so rather than hearing that as an opportunity to explain that she got it from this store and people are showing some concern for her, she gets offended and says, well, what are you saying? The shoes are cheap? You think I got them from a cheap store? And so you go through all of this and come Labor Day, nobody's wanting to get together because everybody feels like they're constantly not, not going to chip off of her shoulder and she's angry and she's upset. Now, here's the thing. If, if you think it's tedious for me to have to go from date to date and explain all of that, imagine how exhausting it must be to just be angry all the time. How tiring that must be to just constantly be mad at somebody. There are some people that's the only way they know how to live with their stomach turned up in knots, living with ulcers, constantly mad at somebody because they believe that they're right. Well, the antidote to all of that are the fruit of the Spirit. See? Fruit of the Spirit. God does not want us to live in a bitter environment. He does not want us to live in an unforgiving way. But he wants us to manifest the fruit of the Spirit so that other people feel comfortable coming out to the house of God because we're all just a group of forgiven people. None of us are perfect. All of us have been forgiven of things. All of us, I guarantee, have things in our past that we are so glad that's under the blood. And if, if the Lord ever came down here on a Sunday evening and just went from person to person, and said, would you like me to pull back the sheets and let everybody see? Let me pull back the curtains and let everybody see what you did on this particular day. You tell the Lord you'd rather faint and go to heaven and have people know that. Yeah, that's how we all are. So the fruit of the spirit isn't even interested and knowing what's behind the curtain. Fruit of the Spirit said, I'll take you and love you as you are right now. Yeah. 
And we'll continue to grow in grace and in knowledge. And where there's work that needs to be done, that's what we'll work on. So I don't spend a lot of time trying to ask people about their past life, what they were like before they were Christian. Sometimes I'll ask people their testimony. I do want to know that because sometimes I use people's testimonies to, to, to work on other people and to, to share that story with other people. But you control the narrative of how you became a Christian and you don't ever have to share anything that you don't want to share. But when you do share, make sure that in the story, God is getting all the glory. Amen. Praise God. How wonderful it is to know that our church should be a fruit bearing orchard and that anybody can come here and find exactly what they need. See? And if you find people hanging around you a lot, it's because they enjoy your fruit. So don't try to drive them away. Just let them let, let them enjoy being around you. You know, don't push people away. Let them let them get on in there under your branches. And just allow God to feed them with everything that they need. Let's stand. Now, if you find that you are needing a little bit more pruning in your life, I can promise you God can handle that. Yeah. And if you got if you got some stuff that need to be snipped and cut off, I can promise you God's got some instruments and tools that will deal with that. And if you can find places in your life where you need a little bit of help with a manifestation of certain kinds of fruit, talk to God about it. And I promise you, God will start working in that area of your life to help you develop that because he knows the more fruit that is manifested in our fellowship, the more people that will enjoy being around us. Yeah, they'll enjoy it. I I don't think anybody likes going to a fellowship where everybody's mean spirited. Mm -mm. No, Uh, they they, they don't want to go somewhere where everybody's whispering about them and, and saying all kinds of things that are untrue. But they do want to know if they come to a place that they'll have people that will speak the truth to them, but in love. Yeah, that's so important. Now let's pray. Father, thank you that you placed in your word the need for believers to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And where you see certain areas in our lives where we have been barren, we pray now that fruitfulness would emerge. And we ask you, God, prune wherever the pruning is needed. But more than anything else, Lord, help us to grow in grace and in knowledge. Help us to develop in maturity. Help us to to manifest these Christian virtues because these are all characteristics that are important to you. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in your word. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said Amen, amen, amen.